Last week, we started a series that really was a continuation of this theme that we're getting ready for in 2018, and that is of hope. A number of weeks ago, maybe five weeks ago, we started out Home with Hope, and we looked at different things out of Psalms 23, and then last week, we took a look and started this series called uh, Holidays with Hope, okay? And we're combining the characters with an aspect of Psalms 23. And we looked at Mary's life and how she had an especial anointing on her life that, that enabled her to fulfill the purpose that God had for her. And in the same light, God has an anointing on our life. And he gives us special abilities in order to fulfill the purpose that he has for us. Today, we're going to take a look at Joseph's life. If there was ever a life that had this extreme high and then this down doobie do down down low, it has to be Joseph. Let's read his story here. Out of Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through, I don't know, about 25. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. Now you know that had to be a high, right? It had to be a mountaintop experience. I, I know that personally. I mean, I can remember when I was engaged. It was like 44 years ago, but I remember. I mean, it was just, oh, I have different couples coming in. Pastor George, we want you to perform the wedding for us. I said, oh, that is great. I'd love to do that. Okay, uh, I mean, uh, what are you guys like? Oh, we're so much alike. You know, we, we don't have any fights. I said, well, wait till you're married, Okay. <laughs> But I mean, when you're in that engagement period, you can imagine Joseph was on this mountaintop high, right? But then comes, so to speak, the bad news. But before the marriage took place, while he was still a virgin, he became, or she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. So now he's feeling down, doobie, do, down, down. He is in this valley. He had this mountaintop experience, and now he's down in this valley. But God delivers him from it. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And when, Jesus, and when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her, her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Life is a mixture, is it not, of ups and downs, of mountaintops and of valleys. David, in Psalms 23, says, Even though I walk through the valley in the shadow of death, <clears throat> I will fear no evil, for you are with me. There's actually a valley, a canyon in Israel that's called the shadow of death. It is so deep that the sun can't get to the bottom of it until high noon. I want you to circle the word valley in Psalms 23, verse 4. God is the God of the valleys. He's not just the God of mountaintops, folks. He's the God of the valleys. 
2,900 years ago, there was a king, King Ahab of Israel, that went to war against the Syrians who had 32 allies with them. The Syrian army should have been a slam dunk for them. But God did a miracle, and Israel prevailed. King Ahab did. A year later, the Syrian army is beginning to think, hey, we're going to take them on again because we believe that their God is just the God of the mountaintops because that's where the battle occurred. But God had something to say about it because they were going to attack them in the valleys. Take a look at verse 28. Because the Syrians think that I am only the God of the hills and not... that I am the God of the valleys. I'm going to give you victory over the huge army so everyone will know that I am the Lord. So let me summarize this here for us. God is God. God is God of the mountaintops and he is God of the valleys. He is God of the good times and he is God of the bad times. He is God of Disney World And he is God of a broken world. The word valley is a metaphor for difficult times, for times of darkness, for times of despair, for times of doubt. And if the truth were known, most of us, we don't live life on the mountaintops, though we wish we could all be in Disney World forever, okay? Most of life is lived in the valleys, Today, what I want to do is I want to take a look at three things. I want to take a look at what the Bible says about valleys. And then I want to take a look at what kind of valleys you and I can expect. And then I want to take a look at what we need to remember when we are going through a valley like Joseph was. Now, I don't know what kind of valley you may be in this morning. You may be in a financial valley. If that's the case, you need to talk with the regional director of FPU, which is Mark Bina, right here in our church. You may be going through a relational value. If that's the case, you need to talk with our care pastor, okay, John Clements. You may be going through a vocational valley. If that's the case, folks, I know a lot of CEOs that would love to help you out. You may be going through a health valley. We got a lot of nurses that we can network you with as well as doctors, okay? I just know this, that whatever valley you go through, you need hope. And so I want to encourage you, take some good notes. Take some good notes for yourself because you may not be in a valley right now, but you will be, I can guarantee you that. Or take some good notes because maybe you know of some other people who are going through a valley, okay? Can I encourage you, invite your friends because we are moving quickly to the year of hope in 2018. Get them here for Christmas as we turn hope into joy. So let's take a look first of what we need to know about valleys. And there are three things that we need to know. First of all is this, valleys are a part of life. They're inevitable, they're normal. Uh, You can't avoid them, okay? So whatever happens when they come on you, don't be shocked. You're not gonna live at a a mountaintop uh, all the time. You're gonna have some of those, but not all the time. And so you're going to get distracted. You're going to have despair. You're going to have doubts. You're going to have discouragements. You're going to have depression. And it's all, and God takes this all in. He knows it all. God's speaking to Moses 
before he's coming into the promised land, said this to him out of Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 11. The promised land you are about to enter is a land of, will you circle this, hills and valleys. What does that mean? Metaphorically, it means when you are at, when you are at the center of God's will, God has mountaintop experiences planned for you, and he's got valley experiences planned for you. Both of them are God's will for your life. Now, Peter talks about the latter one. In 1 Peter 4, he says this, don't be surprised when you are tested by troubles or painful suffering as if something unusual is happening to you. In other words, don't be surprised. They're normal. They're just a part of life. Don't be saying, well, why is this happening to me? You ought to be saying, why, why is it not happening to me, okay? Here is a thought for you, and I want you to write this down. You have problems in your life, not because you're a bad person. You have problems in your life because you're alive. Did you get that? You have problems not because you're a bad human being. Folks, we have problems in our life because we're alive. They are inevitable. Secondly, valleys happen to everybody. Everybody has problems, okay? They're not just inevitable, they are impartial. Good things happen to bad people, and bad things happen to good people. Take a look at Psalms chapter 34, verse 19. The good man does not escape all troubles. He has them too, but the Lord helps him in each and every one. People oftentimes say, well, I have all these problems in my life. God must be punishing me. No, not at all. You have problems in your life because guess what? That's just a part of life. That's just normal, okay? It's just part of being a human being. You and I live in a broken world, and so problems come at the good people, and they come at the bad people. Nobody's immune to problems. Nobody is insulated from pain or sorrow. Nobody sails through life without problems. And being a Christian, by the way, doesn't exempt you from those things either. Jesus said, hey, the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. And so valleys are inevitable. They are impartial. Thirdly, they are unpredictable. And this is what makes problems problems, right? I mean, I, we can't plan them. We, we, can't, uh, we can't time them. We, we, can't, uh, we can't predict them. Uh, they, just, they just spring up, it seems like, out of nowhere, okay? Life would be a whole lot easier, would it not, if we could time them? You know what? My marriage is really good right now. And I got plenty of money in the bank. And I'm really healthy. I'm, I'm feeling really good. I've gotten a lot of sleep. God, this would be a good time to have a problem. It doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. They're unpredictable. I mean, have you noticed how quickly a good day can turn into a bad day? One phone call. One mislip. I'm walking in here. You'd be amazed what I hear in the hobbies. Pastor George, did you hear about this person? They fell off a ladder and fell two stories. They're in the hospital in ICU. One second, life is grand, putting up Christmas lights. The next second, you're in ICU. One moment, life is good. Next moment, someone's made a decision that's beyond your control, and it changes everything. 
That is why Solomon said in Proverbs 27, verse one, don't ever brag about tomorrow since you don't know what the day will bring forth. Problems are inevitable, they're impartial, they're unpredictable. Now, though problems are unpredictable, though we don't know when they will specifically happen, we do know they will. So in one sense, they are predictable, and we can prepare for them. The Bible tells us that there are eight valleys that you and I will go through. I want to speak only on four of them. These first four I'm going to give you so that you can just write them in your notes somewhere, okay? The, uh, and the first one, valley, that we're not going to talk about is the valley of kindred, okay? This is the valley of suffering. This is the, the valley that's between Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives. And what you find there are graveyards, that's why it's the Valley of Suffering. Those graveyards are still there today. They're whitewashed tombs that Jesus referred to, okay? It's the Valley of Suffering. Then there is the Valley of Achor, okay? This is the Valley of Trouble. This is about Achan, okay? Achan brought trouble into Israel as they entered into the Promised Land by hiding some of the loot that should have been destroyed. It is the Valley of of trouble. Then there is the valley of Gehenna. This is where people put trash, even in Jesus's day, and he used it as an illustration to describe hell. This is the valley of surrender, where you're giving up things. And then there is the valley of Jezreel. This is a valley that I believe you and I theologically will not go through. This valley is right next to Mount Megiddo. It's where Elijah called down fire uh, from heaven on these 400 plus prophets of Baal. And that valley is where the battle of Armageddon is going to occur. I don't think you and I are going to be there on that one, okay? But it is referred to as the valley of victory because that's when Jesus is going to come back and put an exclamation mark on history. These next four I do want to teach us which is the next one, is the Valley of Sedim. This is mentioned in Genesis 14. And what occurs here is that there are seven armies that come up against two armies, the army of uh, Sodom and the army of Gomorrah. Uh, they come up against these two kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. And those two kings, when this fight starts, they start running. This is what happens in Genesis 14.10. Now this valley was full of sticky tar pits. When the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah tried to run away from the battle, they slipped and they fell and they got stuck in the pits. And it goes on. So the invaders plundered the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and they took everything they had. They also captured Abraham's nephew, Lot, who was living in Sodom. And Abraham gets this news that this army has taken his nephew, so he goes into battle, and basically he conquers them because God was on his side. And he takes nephew back to his hometown with all this loot. So that's kind of what happens in this story. But the point, though, is this. It says that these two kings, Sodom, the king of Sodom and Gomorrah, that they ran, they, they slipped, they fell, and they got stuck. They ran, they slipped, they fell and they got stuck. How do, you, how do you end up in this kind of valley, the valley of Sedim? 
you do what those kings did. You run, you slip, you fall, you get stuck. Has that process ever happened to you? Have you ever run, ran away from responsibility and then slipped and then fell and then got stuck? This valley is a dark pit. So will you write this down? The valley of Sedim is the valley of failure. Folks, you and I are going to have failures in our life. It's, we're just human. But we compound those failures when you and I run away from responsibilities. My question to you is this. What's this, your Sedim today? What's, what are you running from you know you need to face it. It's a conflict. It's an issue that's going on. But you're choosing to run away from it. What's your dark pit? A bar? A nightclub? A hotel room? A city? Las Vegas? Sodom and Gomorrah, let me tell you this, was not a family-friendly city. But here's the deal. No matter what you may be stuck in, Jesus can get you unstuck. And that pit may be uh, an addiction. It may be a habit. It may be a relationship. It may be a public embarrassing situation, which is what is going on in our culture right now. The deal is this. Jesus can get you out of it. The Valley of Sedim is your place of your greatest failure. The next valley is the Valley of Eshkol. And this is mentioned in Numbers 13. It is the story of Moses sending the 12 spies into the Promised Land. And they are in the Promised Land for 40 days. And they come back. And two of the reports said, Joshua and Caleb said, let's go for it. God's given us this. This is awesome. The other 10 say, no way, Jose. Though the, the, the bounty that they brought in was huge. It took two guys with the pole to carry a cluster of grapes that was just unbelievably heavy. I mean, today we got these little clusters. This was, can you imagine that? This was a fertile place. And God said it was theirs for the taking. Let's read this in Numbers 13. This was their report to Moses, because it's a mixed report. It is indeed a magnificent country this promised land, rich and fertile. And here's some fruit as proof, okay? But the people living there are powerful. But, that's a big but right there, okay? But the people living there are powerful and they're stronger than we are and they look like giants to us. In our own eyes, we felt as small as grasshoppers next to them. What in the world's going on here? They have an inferiority complex. Why? Because of their past. They've been slaves for 400 plus years, okay? We can't take them on. We're just midgets compared to these people. So what's the valley of Eshkol? Will you write this down? It's the valley of fear. I'm either moving ahead in faith or I'm giving up. They had to make the decision. Are we going to take what God has told us is rightfully ours or are we going to back off in fear? So here's my question to you. What's your valley of Eshkol? What's the place that you're afraid to move forward in? 
You've been where you are at for a long, long period of time. You are in status quo, which refers to the mess that we are in. God has told you to advance, and you know that you need to advance. But you haven't. Well, guess what? You're in the valley of Eshkol. And how do you know that you're in this valley? It's real simple. It's how you see things. How you see yourself. <laughs> I'm just not up for this. I've told you you can do it. I will empower you. I've anointed you, what we talked about last week. Or you look at the situation either as an obstacle or as an opportunity. Two of them looked at it as an opportunity. Joshua and Caleb, let's go for it. The other 10 looked at it as uh, an obstacle. And as a result, Israel stayed in the wilderness for 40 years just wandering around. There is another valley. It is the Valley of Elah. This is mentioned in 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's where David met Goliath. Let me read this here. Saul and the Israelites camped in the Valley of Elah, and they drew up a battle plan to fight the Philistines. The Philistines and the Israelites each stood their ground. You might circle that. Shouting and taunting each other from opposite hills. So Israel's on one hill. Hey, we're going to kick your blessed assurance. And the Philistines, no, you're not. We're going to kick your blessed assurance. I mean, they're just taunting one another from one hill to the, to the next hill. And the valley of Elah is in between them. Now, the Philistines' army had a giant champion fighter. This guy knew martial arts. Whoa. Giant champion fighter named Goliath, who was about nine feet tall. I mean, he was some freaky tall guy, okay? When Saul and the Israelites saw this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Then in verse 32, David says this, don't worry about a thing like that. Or uh, worry about a thing, David told Saul. I'll go fight this Philistine. Israel is scared to death. They're stymied. They are God's people. And so they come up with a plan. We're going to do a one-on-one -on -one battle. Winner takes all. And of course, we know the rest of the story, don't we? So the Valley of Elah is this. Will you write this down? It is the valley of conflict. It's when you're facing a giant challenge, when there is opposition, when you have an opponent, when there is conflict going on. Question, what's your Elah right now? Some of you are in this valley. You're not in the valley of Siddim, the valley of failure. You're not in the valley of Eshkol, the valley of fear. You're in the valley of conflict. For Samuel 17, 3 says the Philistines were on one side and the Israelites were on the other side and Elah, the valley of Elah, was in between. What I just described right there, biblically, may describe your marriage. One is on one side and the other is on the other side and I'm not giving any ground and they're not giving any ground. You are in deadlock. That's the Valley of Elah. There is a fourth and final valley. It is called the Valley of Baca. And it is in Psalms 84. The word Baca means weeping. And this valley 
was a desert. It was dusty and dry. It was a wasteland. If you wanted to go from anywhere to, from anywhere to Jerusalem or from Jerusalem to anywhere else, you had to go through the Valley of Baca. More than likely, Mary and Joseph went through the Valley of Baca. If you've seen the Nativity show, the, the DVD, the Nativity, they go through this valley. It's a dry place. It's the Valley of Baca. The Valley of Baca is a metaphor about when you're going through a dry time, when you have no joy. Maybe you're grieving something. Maybe you're, 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 you're weeping about some kind of loss in your life. Whatever it is, nothing is growing there. There's no fruit. There's just tears. Take a look at Psalms 84. Blessed are those whose strength comes from the Lord as they pass through the valley of Baca. That is the valley of weeping. They make it a place of springs. Whoa, stop right there. What in the world's going on here? They make it a place of strings. Whoa, there's water. Hello, where, where did this water come from? You see, when you go, well, let me finish this. They make it a place of springs, and the autumn rains cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength, growing until each appears before God in Zion. Folks, you and I will go through this valley. You will go through the valley of Baca, where it's dry where you're not gonna have any feelings. Any feelings for God, any feelings for your spouse, any feelings for others. You're gonna have no joy, no strength, no energy. But the kind of people that God wants us to be are those who go through this valley who turn it into a place of refreshment and replenishing. Where water somehow, some way, springs up. Where you go from strength to strength. Where you appear before God in Zion. Folks, one day you and I are going to appear before God in Zion. We're going to appear before God in heaven. And when you get there, it isn't going to matter what you're wearing. What will matter, though, is the character that you're going to possess. When you go through different valleys, the valley of suffering, the valley of surrender, the valley of fear, the valley of failure, the valley of conflict, the valley of grief or barrenness, the question is this, did you grow from them? Did you go from strength to strength? Because God isn't going to care what you're wearing on that day, but he will care about the character that you possess. You see, how is it possible to go through those valleys as your faith turns a place without water into a place of anticipating God's goodness? That's hope. God creates valleys that we might grow in hope, anticipating God's goodness. And true biblical hope never, ever disappoints. That's how it's done. You see, valleys are inevitable. They are impartial. They are unpredictable. And you have gone through them in the past. You may be going through one of those right now. I guarantee you, you will go through them in the future. 
But your hope is renewed as you remember. If you remember, when we started this series, Home with Hope, I said, God's goodness is a foundational block. But really the key word is remembering. It is remembering the faith challenges. It is remembering the the valleys that we have gone through in times past. Those maybe that we've imposed on ourselves. I call those valleys or uh, fights of faith internally where we've chosen, you know, I'm going to start a church. and Hey, the dream and you're excited and then reality hits. Wow, wasn't expecting that. Okay, faith, that's remembering those valleys within and valleys without that have been imposed upon you through maybe one phone call or one slip on a, on a, um, uh, a stair and you end up in an ICU It's remembering those faith challenges, those valleys, but then it's remembering God's faithfulness and his goodness to get you through those things. And he has done that in the past. I'm sure if you're in one now, he's doing it right now. You may not see it, but he is, and he will do that in the future. And as we remember the faith challenges, remember God's faithfulness, his goodness towards our life. And then the third thing we remember, we remember the lessons learned about God. Jesus said in John 17, this is what life is, to know the Father and the Son whom he has sent. Life is about knowing God. It is about knowing his Son. So as we wrap this up, what are the three things that we need to remember about God? Number one, I need to remember I'm not alone, that God is with me. You see, that phrase, the shadow of death, in the Hebrew is salmoet, okay? It is a valley of life, and every one of us will go through it. David said, even when I personally walk through the valley and the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. There are two key words in that verse. Will you circle the word through and circle the word you? Through, it's temporary. I have in my office these three pictures. That's why I have them on this mantle here. Because God reminds me that sometimes when you're going through a valley, life seems and feels like it is a still picture, that nothing is happening. That nothing is happening, that life, that we're not getting through it. And I have three pictures in my office that constantly remind me of this, because there seems to be one valley after the next valley. This picture here is William Wilberforce. He single-handedly overturned uh, slavery and the Commonwealth in the early 1800s. Everyone told him, give up, stop, it's not going to happen. And it seemed like it took him 20 years, and after it passed, their parliament Two weeks later, he died. His anointing was done. This guy affected this guy, Abraham Lincoln. And everyone told him, give up. It's stupid. But he kept moving. It looked like a still picture, but it changed history. And that guy affected this guy, Martin Luther King Jr. And at any point, and everyone told him, hey, give up. All these guys are my heroes. Because they saw God walk them through 
their valleys. And then I had you circle the word you. You, as you walk through that, you do not walk alone. God is personal. It's interesting in the Psalms, David uses he, he, he. And here he doesn't say he walks through. No, he personally, you, God, will walk through this valley with me. Circle the word shadow. Folks, I have lost my mother-in-law. I have lost my dad. I have lost my mother-in-law. The only member of the family close in, inner circle, is my mom. She's still left. I've lost friends. I have lost dear, dear, dear church members. I've probably seen more valleys of the shadow of death than all of us combined, other than maybe nurses or doctors. The shadow of death is going to fall across your life at some point in time. But here's the deal. You don't have to fear it. Shadows can't hurt anything. Have you ever seen a shadow of a huge truck as it's driving by you hurt you? No. Shadows don't hurt anything. And if you're afraid of a shadow, in the shadow of death in specifically, maybe it's because you don't know Jesus. Because he conquered death. He says there's life after this life. And so if you fear the shadow of death, maybe you need to get to know Jesus a little better. But if you fear any shadow, the shadow of doubt, the shadow of discouragement, the shadow of depression, the shadow of despair, here's what you need to do. You need to turn to the light. Because shadows imply light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you believe in me, there will, you will not walk in darkness. And so when you are scared of a shadow, you gotta turn to the light and you gotta keep your focus on the light. God is with me. Now understand something. When you are in the dark, there are things that you can learn about God in the dark. I love this verse. It's in Job 12, 22. God uncovers deep things out of darkness and he brings into light even black gloom and the shadow of death. And one of the things that we learn, even in darkness, that though we can't see God, God is with us. I have a promise in regards to that. In Isaiah 43, verse 2, when you go through deep waters and great trouble, when you feel like, man, uh, uh, up and down, I don't know if I'm going to make it or not, I'm going under for the... When you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. Circle that. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Even when I don't see God in the midst of those things, he's there. And so the antidote is God's presence. Take a look at Psalms 73, 28. As for me, God's presence is all I need. I've made the sovereign Lord my shelter. I need to be aware and remember God's presence. Second thing I need to remember when I am in a valley is this, that God, God has a good purpose for the valley. You see, a lot of times in Psalms 23, and, and I read it at a lot of funerals that I did these last, I don't know, two weeks at this point, we think of Psalms 23 that it's about death, and it is not. 
It's truly about the goodness of God. David concludes, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's not about death. It's about God's goodness. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, right? And he has a good purpose for your valley. Take a look at this verse, Romans 5, 3 through 5. We can even rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces, will you circle this word, hope. And that kind of hope does not disappoint us because God has poured his love into our hearts. You see, the world offers a false hope, and we'll talk about this in January or in 2018. It offers us a false hope. But what God offers us is a true hope. So will you write this down? True hope is character grounded or developed on the goodness of God. True hope is developed and grounded through the trials, tribulations, and troubles of life to develop our character so that our hope quotient can grow. Take a look at Hosea 2, verse 15. I will transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. Trouble is the doorway to hope. Trouble develops and it tests our character in the goodness of God. And that kind of hope never, ever disappoints. It's what gives you and I the inward strength, fortitude to persevere, even in the toughest of times because we know that God is a good God and that God, and so we're gonna anticipate that goodness. Take a look at Colossians 1, 11. God will strengthen you with his own great power so that you will not give up when troubles come, but you will be patient. So you remember and your hope is renewed as you know and understand that you're not alone. That God has a good purpose for your valley. And then number three, you remember that the reward will last forever. Folks, this isn't the end of the story. You are going to be rewarded for your faith, for your perseverance, for the hope that you placed in Christ, anticipating God's goodness as you've been in the valley of failure and surrender of fear and conflict and grief and brokenness and trouble. You're gonna be rewarded. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, Paul said this, for our present troubles are quite small and they won't last very long, yet they are producing in us an eternal glory that will last forever and is greater than anything we can imagine. We will not be in heaven one minute before we start thinking, what in the world was I thinking down here? Why did I complain? Why was I so impatient? Why did I gripe about all these things? Folks, we won't be in heaven one minute. And so God says, remember, we have all been through valleys. Remember the valleys. Remember God's faithfulness and goodness to get you through. Remember the lessons that you've learned about him. The Israelites didn't do this. In Psalms 107, referring to them 
The psalmist says, some were living in gloom and darkness like prisoners suffering in chains because they had rebelled against the commands of Almighty God. In other words, they had forgot about God's goodness and they weren't anticipating anything bigger. God just rescued them from Egypt. I mean, wow, okay. But they'd forgotten about it and had rejected his instructions. They were worn out from hard work then in their trouble, they called to the Lord, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of their gloom and darkness and broke their chains in pieces. They now must thank the, God, the, the Lord for his constant love and for the wonderful things he did for them. God led them out of it. And God led Joseph. He was up. I'm pregnant. I'm down. But he listened to God's voice. And God walked him through that valley. God wants to walk you through your valleys this season. So, hashtag five things, five grateful things. Remember the valleys. Remember God's goodness. And remember the lessons that he wants you to know about him. Let's pray. Lord, you are a good God all the time, and all the time you are good. When we are up, you are there. And when we are down, you are there. When Joseph was engaged, he was up. How exciting. And when he was told that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit, he struggled. He was down, but you were there for him. And just as you were there for him, you were there for us. Just as Mary had an anointing on her life, God, we have an anointing on our life. You've given us what we need, the wisdom, the insight, the power, the strength to do what you've called us to do. We thank you for that. We know, God, that as we pursue that purpose, we're going to have some mountaintop days, but we're going to have a lot of valleys, a lot of struggles. And you're the God of the valleys as well. And I thank you that you've been faithful to us as a church, that you've been faithful to us as individuals, that you've been faithful to us as couples and as families to bless us. And may we be those in this season to remember your goodness, to give you thanks for everything that you have done that we might give you glory, God, that we might give you honor, and that we truly might see our hope turned into joy. God, I'm looking forward to Christmas Eve. I want to see you turn hope into joy as we're on this journey. So God, we give you this. We trust you, God. You're a good God. In your son's precious name we pray.